Welcome to Voices of Care, the podcast series from New Cross Healthcare that looks to get to the heart of the issues facing the health and social care sector and how we can truly enable the healthcare workforce of the future. I'm Sahail Mirza, and we can see in the news every day, whether it's the NHS or the private sector, that there is a workforce crisis according to many commentators. It's therefore vital to hear from leaders across the full gamut of the health and social care landscape. And today I'm honoured to be joined by Justin Ash, the Chief Executive of Spire Healthcare Group PLC. Justin, I'm delighted to welcome you and thank you for giving us your time today. It's very kind of you to invite me. It's, it's always a pleasure to see you. You've been at the helm at Spire for five years. You couldn't have chosen a more interesting five years if you had tried. Um, but taking a broad look, the private acute sector is going through a period of, um, maybe I can say renaissance or rebound from the COVID period. It's looking very positive and people's attitudes towards private healthcare are shifting and changing in the post-COVID period. Yes, so COVID was a defining period for the independent sector because we played such a vital role in providing NHS services. Um, And I think it's absolutely true that millions of people got treatment who would not have done otherwise. Uh, And that was a fantastic partnership with the NHS. Coming out of that, first of all, we have a role to play in reducing waiting lists. That role is being played by many providers. Spire is absolutely doing that. Um, And I think that is well recognised. We've also got an important role to play in choice. So I think it's well understood that Spire's self-pay and private business is growing robustly. And I think there's reasons uh, for what we've done at Spire, which are driving that growth. But generally, people are looking at uh, private healthcare. They are seeing waiting lists. They're wanting to be seen either faster or at a time of their choosing. They're wanting to get diagnosis quickly because they're worried. And they're seeing that they do have a choice. And when they get the choice, they're really pleased with it. And I think that is uh, a complete change in attitudes to private healthcare generally and all the research you look at our research ihpn's research research within any newspaper shows there has been a fundamental shift in the role that people see private healthcare having in their lives and it's not just i mean you pointed out it's not just because there are waiting lists in terms of the hospital sector it's broader than that people having difficulty accessing gp services um your your results um, a couple of months ago were were very buoyant back to pre-pandemic levels and i wanted to briefly before we look at the the specific workforce challenges um just for you to expand a little bit on some of the strategic choices that you're now making particularly with the rollout of clinics in primary care well first of all we know that the GP service is hard-pressed. And that reflects in the fact that many people, if not all, are saying they're finding it hard to get a face-to-face appointment. And that's an important part. So we've got um, spa GPs in every site at the moment. That is our fastest-growing service. As soon as we open up new slots for face-to-face appointments, they're typically 25 minutes because there's a strong desire to actually sit down, build a relationship with the GP. And by the way, GPs want that relationship as well. So that's growing very fast. And secondly, the demand for diagnosis is growing equally fast. Pathology, x-rays, MRI, etc. So we have now identified 10 sites where we're going to open Spire clinics, which are a combination of diagnostic centres, GP stroke community type services, and um, non-general anaesthetic treatment, so that we can A, take a bit of pressure off our hospitals, because they're very busy. Mm. We can provide treatment in the community, 
and we can provide increased access to that entry point into healthcare because it's actually the entry point that people seem to be having the most difficulty with. And in terms of obviously your key focus here is quality and, and the patient experience and to do that and to meet this uh, ambition that you have for the clinics, you're going to need um, more and more uh, workforce. Uh, you're on record um, as having said that there is a national and global workforce crisis. We're living in extraordinary uh, times, inflation, supply chain pressures, energy crises. Can you expand upon the nature of the crisis that you see um, and what impact that's having within the private sector generally before we look at Spire? So let's talk about quality first. Mm. Since people are starting to pay more and more for their healthcare, then quite apart from the obvious importance of quality and governance in healthcare, it's even more important because people are putting hard-earned money into healthcare. And the only way that the independent sector is going to thrive is providing the very highest quality of care. Now, there's been lots of excitement around digital health, etc., although that market has somewhat come off. And I think the reason for that is eventually, if you are unwell, you will come across a clinician, be that an allied professional or a nurse or a healthcare assistant or a doctor or a consultant. And that workforce will remain at the very heart of all provision. It's very important to remember that. There are no simple solutions to the fact that the workforce is key to everything that we do in our success. And yes, it's true, there is evidentially a workforce crisis in the UK. Uh, there's a workforce crisis globally. You can read about this in any developed nation. There's also a workforce crisis, by the way, in low-middle-income countries of a different nature. Mm. Um, so we have to be hugely alert to this, not just as providers, but as society, in fact, because... Everything that we do, including tackling climate change, going to work, enjoying time with our families, is presaged on the fact that we have good health. And ultimately, that good health is provided by the workforce, which is why I'm so passionate on the topic and why we're putting so much effort into thinking and acting on this at Spire. And we know the numbers. Uh, in the UK, we're short somewhere between 130 and 180,000 healthcare professionals. Globally, that's something like 10 million many of whom, by the way, are in low- and middle-income countries. So I think by any definition, that's a crisis about which we all need to do something. And I think the before we go into the, the specifics of some of the things that Spire have done, I, I know you've been planning and seeing this crunch for some time, um, but the role uh, of uh, a multivalent uh, workforce, substantive workforce, bank, agency, um, we're seeing that variegated approach to supply any comments you have on that because clearly that has an impact in terms of pricing and also capacity to me it's a shame that nurses and doctors feel they have to go to agencies because really we should all be providing them a home in our hospitals and clinics where they feel sufficiently well rewarded that their work-life balance is sufficiently flexible that we can accommodate them without them having to become agency which in many ways is a floating service. There are arguments it's less, less safe because you don't know your colleagues as well. You're going into relatively complex situations at relatively short notice. So I think part of our mission as healthcare providers is frankly that the agency business doesn't need to exist because everyone's either working full-time or on the bank, which is a sort of more flexible way of working. 
I think, however, you can't blame people for wanting to make that choice. Uh, and we have long-term relationships with many agency nurses who are excellent. There are some excellent agency providers. There are some who are, I'll use the word cautiously, looking like they're profiteering from a shortage of workforce. And I think that needs a careful think and possibly some regulation because every pound that goes into excessive agency margins is a pound that's not been spent developing the workforce. So if as providers we all have huge responsibility towards the workforce, and I think agency providers have a responsibility to act reasonably and proportionately in that environment as well. And I think um, the time is probably now ripe, given the tight labour market, given the supply chain pressures, for that uh, conversation to take place at a strategic level with providers. I think so, with providers, with agency providers, and frankly, if necessary, with government. Um, uh, there's an invitation there for a discussion <laughs> in the new year. L let us talk about some of the specific things that uh, Spire have done anticipating these uh, shortages and challenges globally and nationally. Um, and one of the key things that I'm looking at is the uh, use of apprenticeships uh, and different roles uh, that have developed over time. Can you expand upon that? Because you have quite a significant proportion of your workforce where the apprenticeship route as an entry point, has succeeded very well. Yeah, so apprenticeships have been transformational for Spark. It's the, the only way to put it. We started relatively small. We've now got a workforce of 14,000, of which 500 and growing are apprenticeships in all sorts of areas. Of those, 200 are registered nurses. I think we've got the largest apprenticeship programme for registered nurses. I mean, the bottom line is we have to grow our own. We have to d develop more people in healthcare generally, not just in nursing, within all the allied prof professions and the supporting roles. Um, what's wonderful about apprenticeships is you take, uh, and they're not all young people, but people from all sorts of backgrounds. A lot of them have worked in food service or restaurants or you know, they've worked as security guards and they've come into healthcare. They've typically come in to do a job like housekeeping, etc., and then they've been inspired to take an apprenticeship and maybe become a nurse. So the first thing is we're bringing people out of some sectors where employment is going down and creating new roles. We're inspiring them to become healthcare workers. They bring enormous energy, by the way. They get a very professional training, and out of it you get a registered nurse. And since we need tens of thousands of these, I can't see why everybody wouldn't lead into apprenticeships. Now, um, of course, they cost money. Um, we, we use more than our levy. Mm. We have additional levy funding. We've spent way past our levy on this uh, because it seems to us the way to secure the future. Now, those nurses will be free to go and work in the NHS. They do placements in the NHS. By the way, in addition, we take many nurses on placement from their NHS training. And I think the second theme is this connectivity between independent sector and the NHS. We always talk about helping with waiting lists. It's actually in the workforce that mm. we can actually have the most connection because we've all got the same vested interest in creating fabulous healthcare workers. Um, I think we'll expand that programme. Um, it takes a bit of time to get into it. These have to be rewarding experiences. They have to, the training has to be good. We work with the University of Sunderland. Uh, some of it's online. That's all got to work well. The placements have to be good. But also the truth is after a year... We have healthcare assistants providing fabulous care and for the teams in the hospitals, they just love teaching and coaching. 
So it's changed our culture. So we shouldn't think of this as we're supporting 500 apprentices and aren't we good looking after them. They are transforming our business with their wonderful, enthusiastic contribution. And I, I think expanding this program, you, you know that I started my career in food service, um, this interchange between mm. professions and sectors is a revelation. So there's so much that's good about this. Um, I just hope everyone leans into this more. Well, that's an inspiring um, statistic to see people from many different sectors coming in and, as you say, being inspired to do more. Um, and why wouldn't the sector continue to do that? You, you've emphasised the importance of growing our own uh, in the current uh, um, uh, uncertain economic climate. Um, I want to touch upon international recruitment because it's, it's a key lever. Um, this is well established, of course, uh, amongst the NHS for its uh, strategic objectives. But I believe that's been a, also a, a key pathway for Spire and another story where you've been able to develop quite a lot of uh, success. Yes, yeah, so I wear two hats here, actually. One is Chief Executive for Spire, where we now have over 450 nurses who've come from overseas, mainly the Philippines, and they're making a wonderful contribution. It's a very focused recruitment. Um, we focus a lot on pastoral care. They're supernumerary for months whilst they get trained. And I think it's fair to say that many of our theatres in particular, we would have theatres shut had we not done international recruitment. And it is a fact that it's an important part of the UK healthcare workforce today. And of course, you would aspire to have many more people developed in the UK, and that's apprenticeships, but it's an important part and it creates opportunities for those overseas nurses. Now, I also chair a charity called THET, which is a healthcare workforce charity. We're present in 13 low and middle income countries. And we have two observations. The first is that uh, diaspora who work in the health service in the UK are experts in our midst. I mean, I've been out in Ethiopia where we do a lot of work. And the learnings that people who come from overseas bring us about how you can deliver healthcare in the community with limited resources is a rich resource for the NHS. And secondly, we have to be incredibly responsible about sourcing from overseas, draining the healthcare systems of, of uh, low mid income countries benefits nobody. Equally, if somebody has a right to work, they have aspirations. So I would call on us all, first of all, to celebrate the role of international workers. They're an important part um, and they make a vital contribution. But secondly, to come together as a sector and recognise our responsibilities to the rest of the world as we do that. No, absolutely. And I think um, we have, um, whatever the political rhetoric around immigration policy, we can put to one side. But I think, as you say, without the contribution of uh, international clinicians, the uh, health service, private or public, would be um, well almost untenable, I think, would, absolutely. Be, would be the right. Um, I, I wanted just to touch very briefly upon um, the retention issue, and that's, of course, well-being, um, mental health. Again, a subject I know which is very close to your heart. Um, and just touch upon some of the uh, initiatives that you've undertaken at Spire to help support a workforce. It, it's well attested that we have high levels uh, of burnout and uh, mental health challenges across the broad gamut of healthcare. But I, I know it's an important topic because attraction is one thing, but retaining staff uh, is going to be vital. Yes, I we focus enormously on retention, and we do have levers. We probably have more levers than we'd like to have. We have a slightly older uh, workforce, because we have a very loyal workforce, but eventually they do get to retire. 
Um, and we bring new people in, and you, then you've got to think about how you blend new people into teams which may have worked together for a long time. So part of retention has just been sensitive to where people are in their journey with Spire and making sure that those people, those joiners fit well with the existing team. And I think people don't think enough about the culture, not of corporates or trusts, but wards mm. and theatres. They've all got their own culture. So we spend quite a lot of the time understanding, getting feedback, doing engagement surveys um, to understand the culture and the micro-cultures and making sure they all function well. Freedom to speak up guardians are an important part of this. So we have obviously a very live datic system for clinical um, notifications, but we have freedom to speak up guardians, which of course can report on the clinical issues, because what they tend to report on is workforce issues. Yep. And most of the workforce issues that we see through freedom to speak up guardians are to do with team dynamics. Right, so these are a hand up saying, I don't feel quite comfortable in this team. So the internal focus around speaking up, openness, listening and responding appropriately is key. Then you've got the much broader agenda of mental health and well-being. So we have invested a lot in mental health champions. So we have a mental health first aider, at least one in every hospital and every site. We have um, coffee evenings online that people can join to talk about their mental health. Because people are stressed, actually, by the way, they're as stressed about their home lives as they are about work. Mm. Right? You have got a cost of living crisis. Absolutely. And obviously our responsibility is to pay appropriately. But even if you do that, it doesn't take away the fact that there is pressure out there. Um, learning and development. We've got a thousand colleagues in learning and development. Again, if you look at what really motivates people, being stuck in the job without development can be a source of stress. So we've really focused on this. I'm sure we can do more. Clearly, we want to hang on to people, not just aspire, but in the healthcare workforce overall. I sense that things are more acute in the NHS, given the pressures they face. Uh, and I've seen some very good initiatives coming out of the NHS to support colleagues. So I think they have understood, probably before we did, that you cannot deliver care without your workforce. So retention, well-being, mental health support, we, it's not just important to do, it's obviously the right thing to do. And I think you've identified as um, one of the three key challenges for, for the sector um, in 2023 will be inflation, will be the cost of living challenges. And I, I guess part of the support, um, as well as the learning and development, as you mentioned, is um, employment assistance programmes, employee assistance programmes, to, to help people navigate these challenging times. Yeah, so we have, an, we have a number of those. Fair pay is obviously part of that. Yep. We think we do, and we've given some... Uh, much larger pay rises this year, particularly to the lower paid than we have done in the past. And we're all going to have to stay very aware of that as well. And of course, that helps drive inflation in the healthcare sector. Um, and we're managing that in other ways which aren't related to workforce. So in a way, the independent sector has got the best of times and it's got some challenges because we have got unprecedented demand. It's actually quite a responsibility to meet that demand. People sometimes talk about it as, hooray, the independent sector's got loads of business. We have a responsibility to treat all those patients and we're not going to do it without an engaged, retained workforce. And to, to wrap up, you, you touched upon the changing attitudes towards private um, provision. I just want to take a bit of a big picture because it, it impacts and is informed by the workforce challenges. Is um, As we look ahead, 
Um, we do have the waiting lists. We do have the imperative for choice. We've also got um, a lot of work that's being done within the sector. If we look at Finn uh, in terms of uh, transparency and the patient pathway, um, where do you see the sector, it's a private sector, in, in its part over the next two to three years in helping not just the outcomes for patients, but in the broader narrative of the health and social care space? Well, first of all, I think the independent sector has come quite a long way recently. Mm. I think as little as five years ago, you could say that it wasn't transparent, that not everybody was up on their game in terms of quality and governance. Um, we've certainly transformed that at Spire, and you can just see from the CQC scores that that's transformed in the independent sector, and that has to continue. There's a question around transparency on pricing, which obviously Finn is part of, yeah. and around consultants' practice. Uh, and that's a little bit complicated because you know, there is obviously a debate. How much is a knee procedure? It depends a bit on the procedure. But that's work that we've done in making things more transparent that Finn will work on. And as this becomes more of a consumer sector, which is what's happening, then the pressure will be on those who aren't transparent to become transparent because that's what consumers demand, and we see that. Um, I would hope that we are now seen as an integral part of the healthcare system. Um, I always draw it as, here's the NHS, and people think, here's the independent sector as a little box outside. Mm. I think the way to think about it, here's the healthcare system with the NHS and independent sector inside the box together. And I think that is the case. And as a patient, you are almost certain to have an NHS patient pathway at some time in your life. You may also have a private pathway your private and NHS pathways, by the way, and one treatment may overlap, depending on what's happening. And I think trying to create artificial barriers helps nobody, particularly the patients. And I think those barriers are breaking down. I think choice matters. Imagine the world in which we had long waiting lists and all you could do is wait and you had no choice. Now you can argue, is it fair that some can afford to pay and not others? To which I would say, well, everybody who pays to go privately is taking themselves off a waiting list. Mm. And it's important, in my view, that independent sector providers also help with waiting lists. So we're both part of the solution, but also providing that choice. But I do think that choice is important because the choice creates options for people. It creates space. And I think this narrative will evolve and the proportion of private and NHS support will change over time. I think primary care and the role of the independent sector will grow, which is why we're building clinics. Mm. It's why we're moving into private GPs. Uh, I think it'll be a vibrant time. It'll always be a subject of debate, right? Healthcare is the ultimate political topic in the UK. Um, if you work off the premise that the quality of the services we provide is high, the care, the systems, the governance, then it's a debate about, well, it's a good service, how do people access it, where do you grow in? Um, I very much hope that we will become both larger and more integrated, more recognised, and that as a consequence we'll have a better health system. And I firmly believe we, can, we are and can contribute to that. And, and as a final shot, um, to expand upon your earlier point, if that vision does become an actuality, then the workforce can be, I guess, cross those boundaries because they don't need to exist. The workforce can actually interchange between the private. Absolutely. Well, first of all, we should think of, say, a nurse's journey as NHS independent sector, NHS, and that happens quite a lot. I also see collaborative working where people are working for us, 
maybe on an ITU that we have open three days a week. They're working in ITU and the NHS. They're sharing skills. I think it's probably the area where we can most quickly break down the barriers and work towards a common goal. And I see it starting to happen. Well, on that optimistic uh, note, uh, I'd like to thank you, Justin Ash, for your time and uh, for your vision as always. Thank you very much. My pleasure. If you've enjoyed this episode of Voices of Care, please like, follow or subscribe wherever you receive your podcasts. And if you want more information about how we are truly enabling the healthcare workforce of the future, please visit newcrosshealthcare.com forward slash voices of care. In the meantime, I'm Sahel Mirza. Goodbye and thank you.